Thank you, Fritz. I like the name. If some of y'all don't know me, my name is Jeremy Hall. I'm the high school director here at Christ Our Shepherd, and it's good to be back. Um, if you're thinking, back from where? I think I've got a picture to throw up on the screen. Back from that castle in Iowa. Uh, for the past uh, week, Candace, Melissa, and myself, your family ministry team, have been at Wartburg Theological Seminary in Dubuque, Iowa, working on a certification program in youth ministry. Very exciting time for us, a time of uh, learning and making new connections. It's, um, it's a thrill to be a part of the youth program we already have here that's really good, uh, but it's even more exciting to be a part of a church that says really good isn't good enough for our kids, a church that's pursuing and chasing after this God who is on the move. And so I am very thankful to get to be a part of a community that is aggressively pursuing excellence in youth ministry. And so let me give you a quick overview of what our day would look like at Wartburg. Uh, You wake up too early um, because breakfast starts at 7. You go and you eat oatmeal every day. It's not good. It's lumpy and terrible. And so you want to get there at 7 so you can have the whole hour so you can eat your oatmeal and just oatmeal, everyday oatmeal, and then complain with the other students about the oatmeal and just oatmeal and everyday oatmeal. Because that's the best way to start your day. Um, 8 o'clock, first class. So 8 o'clock we go and we sit and discussion and lecture and learning and stuffs. And then you're exhausted. But luckily, lunch comes. And you think you'll get a break, but it's a trap. Because you go and you get your food in the line. Very strange food. They served us every day um, hot dishes and pop. I don't know what those are, but they resembled a casserole and a Coke. So um, if you ever go to Iowa, just expect some weird food. Um, And you get your food and you go sit down in the dining hall and a professor walks in and starts to teach. And so you don't get a lunch break because that's that's a lecture too. And then you go back to class and you're in class then until 5.30, at which point you go and get your strange Iowa food and no cornbread. Um, And you sit down in the dining hall and another professor comes in. And he lectures till approximately 7.30, at which point you have things to discuss. And then when that's over, they give you homework, which you don't do till the next morning, so you have to get up too early. Um, And we stay up and talk until we run out of coffee and then go to bed much too late and start the cycle all over again for a whole week. And so it was exhausting and exhilarating and energizing, and I am so thankful that I got to be a part of that. But it wasn't all a great week. I suffered a great personal loss last Sunday when the last episode of Breaking Bad was aired. Um, Breaking Bad started in 2008, which means I started watching the show when I was in high school. Um, (laughs) um, Now, maybe you haven't paid attention to the show with starring this lovely and terrifying gentleman on the screen. He's quite frightening. Um, Reasons I will never have a goatee again. Exhibit A. Um... But Breaking Bad has been on since 2008. It's shown five seasons. At no point in its five seasons has it ever fallen off the top ten international list of television programming. It's been nominated for 113 industry awards and won 45 of them, including uh, three consecutive Emmys for Best Drama on Television and three consecutive Emmys for this guy for Best Male in a Lead Role, which very big deal. So it's a fantastically done show. Lots of people love it. If you've never seen it and you don't know about it, one of your neighbors in here does, I promise. Um, And it's an interesting story. It's the story of this man, Walter White. We meet him on his 50th birthday, 
as a mild-mannered chemistry teacher from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, he teaches chemistry at a local high school and lives in a house that's a bit too big for him and his family with a pool and two cars, uh, with his pregnant wife and handicapped son. Uh, the family works hard and scrapes by with just enough to live paycheck to paycheck in this lifestyle that's a little bigger than what they make. Um, and also in this first episode, on his 50th birthday, Walter receives the diagnosis, lung cancer, inoperable. And they give him a very short time to live. More frightening to him than facing his own mortality is facing the fact that when he's gone, his family will lose everything because he has nothing to leave for his wife and kids. They will lose the house. They will not be able to go to school. Um, everything that he's worked for will come crashing down on his family. So with this fear weighing on his heart and his mind, he makes the decision that drives the show. He will put his brilliant scientific mind and understanding of chemistry to work, teaming up with a former student to cook methamphetamine in a Winnebago. It's a wonderful decision. Um, this is the television your kids watch. Um, <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that later. Um, and so he decides he just needs, if he can make 700000 and some dollars, that will be enough to send his kids to an in-state school to pay off the house. And if his wife keeps working, she'll be able to live comfortably in their home for the rest of her life once he's gone. And, and he'll make it, and he'll lose it, and he'll make it back, and then he'll start to say, well, you know what? This is enough. I need a million dollars. I need two million dollars. I need people to know my name. I just, I need more money. And pride and anger start to take over and motivate Walt. And by the end of the show, he's peddling his product all over the globe, has killed countless people. Actually, it is counted. I, I read in an article between services, there's about 200 people whose deaths can be attributed to Walter White in the two years that the show covers. Um, and so we move from Walter White, the chemistry teacher, to Heisenberg, the kingpin of the meth world. And if you think that sounds violent and inappropriate, let's go back to judges. Um, if we can throw judges up on the screen, we'll be starting in, chap in uh, chapter 15, verse 1. Later on, at that time of the uh, wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife, like most of us young men frequently do. Um, and uh, he sees his father-in-law and he says, I'm going up to my wife's room. And he says, no, you're not, buddy. Um, her father would not let him go in. He says to her, I was so sure that you hated her because of the amount of time he's been gone that I gave her to one of your peers. And then there's this nice alarm where it's like, well, you know, his, her sister's kind of cute too if you, if you want to take a swing at that. But Samson isn't having any of this. He had a woman. He picked a woman. This is the woman he wants. And now she's been given to someone else. And it turns out someone else is a Philistine. And so Samson says, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. This time, I will really harm them. So in verse 4, he went out and caught 300 foxes, like you so often do, and tied them tail to tail in pairs, fastened a torch to every pair of foxes, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. And he burned up the shocks and the standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. Now this is an act of war. This is an act of economic terrorism. This is an agrarian culture in the ancient Near East. Everything is tied into their crop. This is their family. This is their sustenance. This is their culture. 
This is their civilization and their religion, their politics, their economy. Everything is based on the harvest. And Samson has just taken it all away. And so the Philistines, seeing that their food for the next year is gone and their economy is destroyed and their civilization may crumble, uh, ask the reasonable question, who's done this to us? And they get the answer. It's Samson, the uh, son-in-law of Timnit, because his wife was given to one of the Philistines. And the text reads, So they went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, Since you have acted in this way, because the, uh, the whole foxes thing was totally reasonable. Uh, since you have acted in this way, I will not stop until I get my revenge on you. And then he viciously attacked them and slaughtered many of them. Then he went and hid in a cave in a tomb. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah and, and spread out over a large area. And the people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? And they told him, we've come to take Samson prisoner to do to him what he has done to us. And so Samson's like the Hulk, right? He's like Superman, strong and like impervious to bullets and stuff. So the Israelites send, uh, or the Judahites, the folks from Judah send 3,000 men to where he is to bring him back. And Samson agrees that he will let them take him prisoner. And when they ask, why have you brought this down on us? He answers, I was just doing to them what they did to me. And so they bind him and take him to the Philistines. And when he reaches the Philistines, it says that the, the new ropes around his arms, the things that bound him, became like burnt flax and he bursts free of them and does what any reasonable gentleman would do at this point in time, takes up the fresh jawbone of a donkey and strikes down a thousand men. And then we have this lovely little poem that he spouts off. And then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. That is not how the King James reads. Um, with a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. This is a story of escalating violence. You know, quick thought. Uh, there's an inflammatory nature to violence and revenge, isn't there? Uh, I stumbled upon a German proverb while preparing this sermon that reads, No act of revenge ever goes unavenged. When we enter into this cycle of retribution and violence and revenge, we we get put into this system of one-upping each other. There's no way to tell when it's supposed to stop. How do you know when you've gone even with someone? In Breaking Bad, we start off with, a chemistry teacher at the end of his rope mixing chemicals in the back of a Winnebago to produce a, uh, well, he'll call it a product throughout the show, to try to care for his family. And through the course of the two years of his life that the show covers, I promise I won't give away the end. Um, first uh, service, I started talking about Breaking Bad. People went, because they didn't want to hear how the show ends. I promise I won't spoil it. But through the two years of his life, he goes from family man to uh, being responsible for the deaths of 200 people, peddling his meth amphetamine over the entirety of the globe in all sorts of different countries. Um, he will have ordered the execution of many people, caused a plane crash, and sent a suicide bomber into a retirement home. In Judges, Samson's story moves from a man, his father-in-law, and a goat, like many stories do begin, um, and moves to foxes, and murder, and the slaughter of a thousand men. 
Eventually, Samson's story will end two chapters after us reading this, with Samson being captured, disgraced, tortured, his eyes gouged out, and turned into a sick sideshow for the Philistines. The, the last account of Samson's life we have, he's been tied to the pillars of this pagan palace temple space to entertain the Philistines. And his last act, his final act of violence and revenge is to push the two support pillars he's been tied to out from under the roof, collapsing the building in on everyone there. The text tells us that in this act, Samson kills more men than he ever did in his life. And it also results in Samson being crushed and buried in the rubble of this pagan temple. Revenge always escalates. And the Bible has always understood this. This is why the ancients received the phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Um, As we fly by this the first time, as we quickly move through the Old Testament, as we often do, it looks very barbaric and violent and almost backwards. But when we slow down and see what the uh, culture is doing, what the text is trying to achieve here, we start to see that this is actually a prescription from God. This is a way of breaking the cycle of revenge. Uh, The punishment in the society that God's building must fit the crime. It's not a life for an eye or a hand for a tooth, but it's equal. It shuts the cycle down. But that's not ultimately what God wants to see happen. Jesus comes on the scene, and in Matthew chapter 5, he takes it that step further from government to kingdom of God when he uh, gives us a new vantage point on the whole eye for an eye thing that we read earlier. Um, He tells us that there's more, there's something bigger and more beautiful going on in this kingdom of God lifestyle that Jesus is inviting us into. And Peter in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 gives us a beautiful insight into what this looks like in Jesus' life. In uh, verse 23, Peter writes, When they hurled their insults at him, him being Jesus, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, that's God, who judges justly. He entrusted himself to God, who judges justly. Jesus trusts himself and also those who are wronging him to God. Jesus understands that to take revenge is to remove God from the throne of judge. To take revenge is to say to God, you're wrong, you're too slow, and you're too soft. Get out of my seat. I'm going to handle it this time. How does Samson initiate this story of pain and death and revenge and arguably, ultimately, failure? with the phrase, now I have a right to do this to them. Samson has set himself up as God over these people. He says, because of what they've done, they are subject to me. These are not human beings who belong to God anymore. These, I have a right to destroy them for what they have done to me. He's made himself God in this situation. But forgiveness begins When we make the decision to put down the jawbone and take up the cross of Christ, forgiveness begins when we can choose to let the part of us that craves 
control and that demands, demands power and retribution, the part of us that seeks revenge, when we can allow that to be crucified with Christ and we move into the new kingdom way of doing things where we can trust ourselves and others and our whole life to God, that's when we can enter into this new way of doing things. Forgiveness begins when we can release people for what they've done. When we can let the things we've done to others and the things we've done others have done to us, the things that we know and want to see punished, when we can release those to God and let God be God because he is ultimately so much better than any of us. Amen. Thank you, church.